Leading Ourselves from the sermon series, Take the Lead, spoken by Pastor Sunita Pantan. I guess most of us have um, pretty blurry vision because this is not the 2020 that we thought we would have. There's a global pandemic going on, as we all know. There's skyrocketing unemployment. There's a series of black men and women who are continuing to be shot by law enforcement, and recently, Jacob Blake. Hurricanes and tornadoes. Parents tossing and turning at night trying to figure out what to do as they send their children back to school. Our seniors are afraid to hug their grandchildren. Our college students are disappointed because they won't be able to go back to campus. Increased rates of stress and anxiety, fear, marital separation, domestic violence, and substance abuse. The world as we know it has changed forever. And what's on the other side of COVID, vaccine or not, is a huge question mark. But God is faithful, so we know that there is life after this death and despair, even if we don't know how or when. And as a result, many people have questioned God's presence. They have questioned his goodness. They have questioned his power and his sovereignty. And while the Christian is certainly not not exempt from the challenges or the questions, the Christian has the answer. His name is Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace and the one who quiets the storms in our lives. He brings healing and he declares life when others would declare death. He prays for us, he's for us, and he is with us. And he promises us that yes, in this life, you will have trouble. But he says, be encouraged because he has overcome the world. And how, do we con- how can we trust his word? because he demonstrated it with his life, his death, and then his life again. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect and sinless life while walking the earth. He healed and he taught and he loved and he restored life. And then he died for our sins. He rose three days after death and he defeated death and sin. He sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, meaning that he is constantly praying for us. And he left us with the Holy Spirit to guide us. And he did it simply and most powerfully because he loves us. And he offers us a hope, not just for this life, but for eternity. For the challenges we face in this lifetime, Jesus is the answer. And God has trusted, has entrusted this message about Jesus to us, his children, to share with the world. In a time of unprecedented uncertainty, we have a certain answer and we must lead well in this time. But true leadership begins with yourself. It begins with you leading yourself well and me leading myself well. And we do it not just for ourselves, but for the sake of the world that desperately needs to know about a savior who loves them and who offers all the hope that we need. And what we find in our text today, as Paul demonstrates, is that we lead ourselves well when we fully embrace our calling to share the gospel message. For the past three weeks, we have been in the sermon series, Take the Lead. If you missed any of the sermons, I invite you to see them on our website or go to our YouTube channel and you can watch all of them. We began by discussing how to lead at work, then how to lead in your community, and then last week, how to lead in your family. This week, I think we tackled the most difficult one of all, which is how to lead yourself. 
In our text this morning, Paul demonstrates how to lead ourselves well. If you would, whatever device you have or Bible that you have available, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Paul uses an athletic games metaphor. The Isthmian Games took place during the off years of the Olympic Games, and they were second only to the Olympics. They were a source of pride for the Corinthians, and so it was an easy metaphor for Paul to use for them to relate. In these games, there were horse, foot, and chariot races. There was wrestling and boxing and animal fights. There were also music and poetry contests. For Paul, the athlete is a perfect metaphor for how he leads himself. There is no doubt that Paul is a great leader. Some scholars believe that Paul planted as many as 14 churches after he preached and taught throughout the different regions. And then when you include uh, the, the churches that began after his sons and ministries, people like Timothy, we know that that number probably multiplies. But what, but what makes Paul a great leader is not the number of churches he started, but his ability to be an example to the people of what it looks like to live a cruciform life a life shaped and centered by the work of Jesus Christ. Here he teaches us the tools to become better leaders of ourselves and therefore better messengers of the gospel. So how do we, how do we lead ourselves well? How do we lead ourselves well? First, leading ourselves well requires clarity about your purpose. Clarity about your purpose. What is your goal? Where are you going? Have you ever heard the phrase, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there? It simply means that if you have no purpose, how do you even know what to do? Look at verses 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable one. Athletes run with the purpose of obtaining a prize. In the first century, the prize was a wreath made of leaves. There was no gold medal at the times. There were only these wreaths and perhaps maybe bragging rights in your community. But the athletes knew their purpose. They were running to earn the wreath. I know so many of you are happy that the NBA is back and that the finals are going on right now. But if those players have fun while they're playing, that's great. But they left their families and they, and they sheltered inside of this bubble so that they could win the NBA title. That is their purpose. Paul shows us that likewise, Christians have a purpose. The goal, however, is not to win a wreath like the runners in the Isthmian games. Those wreaths were perishable. Since they were made of leaves, they would eventually dry out and die, fall apart. Paul says that as Christians, we are called to seek after the imperishable wreath. Our purpose is to seek after the things of God. 
For Paul, his purpose was to bring people to Christ by sharing the gospel message and encouraging believers. In the verses leading up to our text this morning, Paul makes it clear that his purpose was to share the gospel. As we look at the trajectory of his life, we see the clarity of his purpose. We just finished a sermon series on the book of Philippians, and many of us are still going through the Bible studies weekly. And we've been learning that even from jail, Paul still cares about the proclamation of the gospel. This is why he says, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped me to spread the gospel. And what does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true. And in that, I rejoice. The gospel was important to Paul. How important is it to you? Paul was clear about his purpose. Are you clear about yours? And I know when I asked that question, some of you got a little excited, a little agitated. You began to freak out. Many of you are wondering if you are living out your purpose or what this even looks like. But hear me when I say this. The Christian has one purpose and one purpose only. That is to share the gospel and to make disciples. That is what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, when I say proclaim the gospel and make disciples, I'm not talking about preaching from a pulpit or even teaching. I mean that in all that we say and all that we do, we proclaim God's message of salvation, of hope, and of love. I think we get confused thinking that your purpose, my purpose, is my job. No, your job is your job. Do not confuse your job with your purpose. Your purpose is to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. What we're really saying then is when we ask the question, what is my purpose? We're really asking how. How does God want me to live out my purpose? What that looks like for each one of us will look differently. Discovering the how comes through prayer and obedience. If you want to know the plan that God has for your life, you have to go to the author of life. And you must be obedient. As we listen to the voice of God and follow his direction, the how of fulfilling our purpose will unfold. Even when God called me to ministry when I was in law school, it was because he had first sent me into a season of fasting. My obedience to his prompting about fasting led to him speaking to me about what and how I should fulfill the calling he had on my life. And even in recent months, I realized more and more that my obedience in coming to Metro was so that I could preach about the intersections of race and justice and the gospel. The how comes through prayer and obedience. God has called me to fulfill his greater purpose to spread the gospel and make disciples through the vehicle of full-time ministry. How God has called you may be different. If you're a mom or a dad, your purpose is to proclaim the gospel to those adorable little people that God has placed in your care. If you're a doctor, you may not be able to explicitly proclaim the gospel, but you can certainly care for your patients with the love of Christ. And I have certainly seen doctors pray with their patients. If you're a teacher, now more than ever, 
You can provide your parents and your students with comfort, letting them know that you are praying for them and that you are with them. Years ago, I was visiting a law firm in New York City and went to the security desk of the building to gain entry. After the security guard finished checking my ID, she gave me back my pass and she said, God bless you. And it stunned me. I didn't expect the security guard to mention God, but she did. And I wonder how many people she saw on a daily basis over whom she offered a blessing. Even that tiny gesture was a proclamation. Whatever way God might be calling you to live out your purpose, let's be clear that we have one. Our goal, what we're running for, is to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. And there is no greater purpose because you are advancing God's kingdom. And you are doing it under the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Christ has given us the purpose and the authority to proclaim his message. To lead oneself well, we need to be clear on our purpose. Secondly, leading oneself requires intentionality. It requires intentionality. How are you going to accomplish your purpose? What is your plan? The athletes competing in the Isthmian Games had a plan. In preparation for the games, the competitors would have to to take an oath that they had trained for 10 months and would not violate any of the regulations. There was a strict diet, no wine or what they considered pleasant foods. They had to endure both the cold and the heat. It was a rigorous, disciplined process. They had to be intentional about what they ate and how they trained in order to place themselves in the best possible position to accomplish their purpose, to win the wreath. Paul says that if athletes have to prepare and plan in order to win a perishable wreath, how much more does the Christian have to plan in order to gain an imperishable one? How much more do we have to plan in order to meet the purpose for which God has created us? Paul uses himself as an example. In the verses leading up to these, Paul says that he became all things to all people so that he might win some. Paul's plan was to find ways to connect with people so that he might introduce them to Jesus Christ. Then in verse 26, he adds this. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air. Paul says you need to be intentional about where you are going. You have to have an aim, an intention for every punch you throw. This past week, Pastor Peter, Pastor Mike, Dennis Kwan, Erica West, Stephen Sharkey, and Christine Lee rode from New Jersey from here all the way up to Portland, Maine to support Zamele, our nonprofit that confronts the root causes of poverty by removing the barriers to self-sufficiency for women impoverished in impoverished communities in South Africa. They raised over $27,000 for Zamele. Wherever you are, can we just pause and just cheer for them? Congratulations and thank you so much on behalf of Zamele. In preparation, they had to have a training plan. How many miles to run daily, weightlifting, eating correctly, and building up their endurance. Pastor Mike actually had an additional responsibility because he was responsible for drafting the plan, the route that they would take from New Jersey to Portland, Maine. You can't just jump on 95 and head north. And as bike riders, they had to take a specific route so that they would not only get to Maine, but they would get so safely. 
They were intentional about their plan and they were intentional about the route they would take. Paul advises us, we can't live our lives running aimlessly or shadow boxing. You have to have a plan. Running aimlessly gets you nowhere and shadow boxing expends energy but hits no target. You haven't gained anything. Have you ever felt like you were, you're wasting your life? You wake up every day like it's Groundhog Day? And especially now when so much of our life is confined to the home and only the essential things, that feeling of expending energy but hitting no target is because you've forgotten your purpose and you're living unintentionally. Even now, while we are still sheltering in place, God wants you to, to use you to share his message of love and hope and to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. We waste time replaying what life used to be like and how it used to be. Look forward to what God is doing now and in the future. Paul reminds us in Philippians, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Take dinner to a senior citizen or to a single person. Cut your neighbor's grass. Reach out and pray with a family who has a member with special needs. Leave a note of thanks to the mail carrier or the Amazon delivery person. Call and encourage an anxious parent. Make a plan to share God's love in this season, not later, but right now. What are the components of this plan? Ask yourself, how can God use what he has given me for his glory? How can I use where God has placed me, how he's created me, who he's placed in my life to proclaim the gospel and make disciples? What do I need to add to my life or sharpen in myself so that I can fulfill God's purpose in me? Or what do I need to let go of to accomplish God's purpose? Parents, you no doubt have a, have a plan for how to get your kid to college or how to pay for it. You should have a plan for how your, your child will come to know and love Jesus Christ. You have to plan for your child's spiritual well-being. And not just parents. For all of us, we need to live more intentionally. If our purpose is to share the gospel and make disciples, then we need to live intentionally toward that end. If you feel inadequate about talking to someone about Jesus, practice with a Christian. Plan to read your Bible daily. Plan to pray daily. Put it in your calendar. You've heard it before. Failing to plan is planning to fail. The Bible implores us to write the vision. But let me be clear. Leading oneself is actually a bit of a misnomer. We are not leading ourselves. We are the ones being led by the Holy Spirit. Paul was not driven by himself, but by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 16, we see Paul actually prevented by the Holy Spirit from preaching in two regions because God was calling him to Macedonia. Even with clarity about his purpose, Paul still needed to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit about the plan. We follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is discovered in prayer and we listen to the inner voice of the Spirit within us. Leading oneself actually means submitting to the Holy Spirit's guidance in your life and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you. 
We can't lead your, you can't lead yourself or others well unless we let God lead us first. Ask God to help you develop a plan to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. To live intentionally is to live, to live unintentionally, excuse me, is to live below how God has created you. We must lead intentional lives. And leading oneself requires purpose, intentionality, and finally, it requires self-discipline. It requires self-discipline. How are you going to implement your plan? How many of you know that a plan is useless if you don't actually discipline yourself to fulfill the plan? How many of you have actually created a plan and not fulfilled it? I can't see you, but I know your hand is raised too. I'm not just the only one. To actually be competitive, the athletes had to execute the plan, the training process. They needed to adhere to the diet and train regularly. The only chance they had at winning came through exercising the plan. Verses 25 through 27 reads as follows. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Paul says athletes exercise self-discipline. Self-discipline says that we are denying ourselves or abstaining from sin things now for a greater purpose. Paul seems himself as engaged in actual combat for the souls of other people. That was his greater purpose. His enemy is not just Satan, but his own body, his own desires and preferences. Paul chooses not to marry because for him to do so would impede his ability to preach the gospel. He would have divided interests. Paul refused to take money from the church at Corinth because he wanted the liberty to preach the gospel freely. Paul disciplines himself as a consequence of his devotion to his calling. When Paul says punish the body, he means to destroy those things and fight against or that fight against or challenge your calling. It literally means to hit in the eye or to give a black eye. To enslave the body is to master it and to take control over it. Later in Hebrews, he will tell us to lay aside every weight, anything that holds us back or holds us down so that we can run the race. These are regressive terms. These are violent terms. Our Christian life cannot be lived passively. It requires assertiveness on our parts. It requires taking a hard look at how we live our lives and adjusting them so that they are in conformity to Christ and that they help us fulfill our purpose. How do you need to discipline yourself? Do you need to start going to bed earlier so that you can get up earlier to pray before your kids get up or before you head on to work? Do you need to stop or stop watching or reading things that incite violence or anger or lust or fear in your heart? Do you need to adjust how you spend time with your boyfriend or your girlfriend so that your time and your relationship can remain celibate? To lead ourselves well, we need self-discipline. Everyone wants the title of leader, but leadership begins with yourself. Can you apply the word to yourself? Have you disciplined yourself enough 
And can your character sustain you as a leader who practices what you preach? You cannot lead others beyond where you have traveled yourself. Self-discipline means that you implement what you know to be true in your own life first. Then, and only then, are you qualified to lead others. One's character is crucial for self-discipline. And if character is who you are when no one is watching, then discipline is what you do when no one is watching. Are you only able to move or progress with external motivation? Do you lack your own self-discipline? If you've always been told what to do, you might struggle to discipline yourself. And one of the hardest but the best ways to discipline yourself is through fasting. Fasting focuses us to control our appetites literally so that we can more clearly hear from God. Fasting includes abstaining from food, but also from other things like TV or social media, things that consume us or that are not helpful for us. The goal is to be guided by the spirit, not by the flesh. But fasting is not done by your own willpower and might. It is done through prayer and reliance on the Holy Spirit. If you're struggling with self-discipline, prayerfully consider fasting. Even just once a week, it can make a difference. And it teaches us to lean on the Holy Spirit and not on ourselves or our own power. The discipline gained from fasting then spills over to other areas of your life. You will be amazed at how God will give you the discipline in other areas of your life if you submit to fasting. If you're nervous about doing it alone, ask someone to do it with you. While we are leading ourselves, let's be clear, we are not leading alone. This is why we are in community. This is why God places us in fellowship with one another in our churches and in other Christian communities. It allows us to walk alongside and encourage one another as we each lead ourselves. Those who lead themselves well do these things, understanding our purpose, living intentionally, and, and, and maintaining discipline to avoid disqualification. Paul says in verse 27, but I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Disqualification refers to the examination of a winner of a game. It actually took place after the game to determine if the winner had participated fairly and lawfully. If they were found to not have done so, they were disqualified. The prize was revoked and they were driven from the games in disgrace. Now is Paul saying that God will disqualify us? No. Paul is not talking about losing your salvation. Once you are saved, you are saved, and that matter has been settled on the cross. Paul knows he's saved. He's concerned about his credibility as a messenger of Jesus Christ. Disqualification for Paul is to lose credibility or authority. Paul regards his life and the way he lives it seriously. The fact that he is an apostle is not a safeguard for him. Judas was a disciple of Jesus Christ, and yet he still betrayed Jesus. Paul is afraid of living a life without purpose, without intention, and without discipline, and therefore being rejected as a proclaimer of the gospel. Paul says that he doesn't want to say all the right things and tell everyone else what to do, and at the end of the day, he himself is disqualified. Paul is running to win. He's not resting on his laurels. 
Though he is confident in his salvation, he's not just passing through life, taking up space and air without fulfilling his purpose on his way to heaven. He lives his life to spread the gospel. Brothers and sisters, the world is hurting and God has given us the only remedy. He has given us a savior that heals a savior that has the power to save people from their sins and the power to grant peace to those who are anxious and worried and the power to work those things out that seem wrong in our lives for our good. And God chooses us, his children, to share this message. What a privilege and an honor. Are you excited, Metro, to be a part of what God is doing in this world? Remember, you are not doing this alone. The Holy Spirit is with you and guiding you. Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And don't be ashamed, but be bold. Paul reminds us, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And don't worry about being perfect. Jesus says that if he is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. We just have to lift him up. God will do the rest. Let's commit today to leading ourselves well with purpose, intention, and discipline as we share the gospel message to this world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we know a man named Jesus. God, we thank you that he is our savior. God, we thank you that in the midst of all the chaos, God, he is our prince of peace. God, we thank you that when we feel alone, sheltering in place without friends or family or even a church community to lean on, God, he tells us that he will always be with us. That's why we call him Emmanuel. God, we thank you that when we are afraid, he calms our fears. God, we thank you that as we seek to make decisions about our lives going forward, that he grants us wisdom. And God, we thank you that you have given us the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us. God, we thank you that you are the author of our lives. So no matter what happens, we know that we are in your care. And as we sang earlier, we know that we are caught up in your love. And so, God, I pray for my brother and sister, wherever they are, that you will encourage each one of us to share this gospel message with the world, that we can't make it on our own. And so, God, may we use this opportunity to share your love with everyone we meet, that we would lead ourselves well in sharing this message with others. It is through your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So as you know, when we finish our message, we know that the message does not stop here. There are some next steps that God always wants us to take. If you are new to Metro, I invite you either to our app or to emetro.org Sunday so you can find what's called the communication card. On the communication card are what we like to call next steps. Next steps are how we live out the sermon. If you would join me in following the next steps now. Number one, and, and if this applies to you, go ahead and check it off. Number one, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I would love to have one. Check that box off that this is you. As I've said, this 
is a crazy time. And I don't say this to frighten you. I actually say this to let you know that you're not alone in this. And so check that box off. If you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, one of our pastors will get back to you, we'll pray with you, and we will let you know what it means to live and to make him Lord of your life. Number two, I will create an intentional plan about how I can share the message of God's love and hope with others. It makes no sense to just listen to the sermon and do nothing with it. So take some time this week to create a plan. Think about who's around you. Think about where you go and how you might be able to proclaim the message. Number three, I work in a school or have children returning to school and will go to emetro.org slash pray for prayer after service today. Our pastors and our staff are waiting for you. We want to pray for you. We know that this is a difficult time and we want you to know that we are with you. We are praying with you and we know that God is with you as well. Number four, I haven't done so already, but I would like to donate to Zamele. If you want to do so now, you can go to zamelausa.org to give. They've raised 27000 but they need so much more. And so if you haven't had a chance to, please do so now.